Good morning. Welcome to Renewal Church. My name is Ulysses. I'm one of the pastors here at Renewal Church. Wonderful to be able to spend this morning with you. Today we are going to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. We are in the last two messages of our Back to the Basics series, and the last two messages are going to be on serving, on servanthood, on what it means to be a servant of Christ, what it means, as the Bible even says, to be a slave of Christ, to be a bondservant of Christ. That's what we're going to be talking about for the remaining two weeks. And let me tell you something. I really think that this passage, it's such a powerful passage. It is also a very hard-hitting and very countercultural passage as well. It's a passage that may be difficult for us to um, kind of really wrap our heads around it in, in some ways. So I'd like to pray before we begin. Would you pray with me? God, we just come before you, before your word, and we ask for the Holy Spirit's presence to speak through me, to speak to the hearts of everyone here. May your sons and daughters be challenged and convicted and exhorted and strengthened. Um, may any friends here who do not profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, um, come to know more about why we worship you and why you are such an amazing and awesome God. So we pray that you come and your spirit would be here. Guard our hearts from any works of the enemy in the name of Jesus, and we pray that your will would be done um, on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So here, uh, so before we get into verse 17, just a little bit of the background here. The, the book of 1 Corinthians is a crazy, amazing, awesome book that covers so many different topics. It covers um, spiritual gifts. It talks about uh, the resurrection of Christ. It talks about uh, church discipline. It talks about um, just, just so many different topics. It's such a rich, rich book. And here in chapter 7, in verses 1 through 16, leading up to today's passage, Paul was dealing with some questions, a question that the Corinthians had. So they wrote him a letter, and they asked him questions as well. And basically, it had to do with, um, now that we're Christians, what do we do? What changes do we make? So, for, for example, one thing that they were thinking is, well, now that I am a Christian, I am a believer, what if my spouse, my husband, or my wife is not a believer, is not a Christian. What should I do in this case, in this circumstance? Actually, should I leave my spouse? And Paul emphatically says to the Corinthians, no, don't do that. Don't do that. If you became a Christian, even if your spouse did not, do not leave your spouse. Do not leave your husband or your wife. Um, don't break the marriage covenant because you have become a Christian. That's what he said. Basically, remain in the place where you are. Remain in the position of life that you are. But he says, you know, but if your spouse doesn't want to stay with you anymore because you're a Christian, and, you know, 2,000 years ago, under the Roman Empire, it was more difficult to be a Christian than it is today in America. Um, it, it, it was 2,000 years ago. There was persecution. Uh, you had to worship the emperor, all sorts of things that you did. And it's very possible that a spouse said, you know, forget this. You want to do your Jesus thing? It's not worth it. I'm not counting the cost for that. And they would leave. They would leave you. And Paul said, if that happens, though, um, it, it's okay. You can't force your spouse to stay with you. But if you're the one, if it's up to you and you became a Christian, stay with your spouse. Don't break the marriage covenant. And Paul, in other places, says, through your lifestyle, through your godliness, through your love and the way that you live, you can win your spouse over to Jesus. When your spouse sees the beauty of your life as you walk with God, that will be such a powerful message to him or her about how awesome God is and they may come to know Jesus. So Paul says, remain in the position of life that you were in. Now that's, that's what he just said in verse 16, 
And that brings us into the passage for today. He goes on and he brings up a couple of more illustrations that are really, really strong and powerful here. He says this, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if indeed you are able to be free, make the most of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, you will not find this version of uh, 1 Corinthians in any of your Bibles because it's a mashup of different versions, and I took a little bit from a different scholar and commentator as well, which we are all allowed to do because everybody, if you see an English version of the Bible, they have made interpretive decisions from the original Greek, Hebrew, and, and Aramaic. So this is the Ulysses standard version or, or whatever it is. Um, so this is a really, really heavy-hitting passage here. Why? Because, let me go back here. For Paul to say this to Jews to Gentiles was actually really, really crazy. Now, going back here, when he talks about circumcision, he was talking about the difference between Jew and Gentile here. Now, follow me here. There was few bigger differences in the lives of these people, in the lives of these people, than the difference between being a Jew and a Gentile. If they were a Jew, they grew up and hearing about the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for thousands of years that, that they were God's chosen people. And the mark of being a Jew was circumcision. It was extremely important. You had to be circumcised. It was God's sign to them that they were supposed to do in order to be marked as the people of God. If you were a Gentile, you might have grown up hearing about this weird little sect of people, this Judaism, these people who worship only one God, these people who um, are monotheists, which was really awkward in this polytheistic Roman Empire. It was very, very strange, and, and they did things like circumcision. For Paul here, when he brings up circumcision, he brings up Jew and Gentile, it is the, one of the biggest cultural and ethnic divides that you can talk about at this time. And Paul says, don't get circumcised if you're a Gentile. Don't get uncircumcised if you're a Jew. You're like, uncircumcised? Can you do that? Is that a thing? Apparently, yes. I won't get into the biology of it because we, lunch is after service, but you could get uncircumcised. There were ways to kind of remove the marks of circumcision. Now, what was happening here was maybe there were some Jews who became Christian. And they're thinking, oh, I'm a Christian now. Circumcision doesn't mean anything. Circumcision was a mark of the law that we lived under, that we could not keep as, as the people of God. So maybe I should remove the marks of my circumcision. It was like some kind of operation, some kind of procedure. Maybe I should do that. Paul says, don't do that. Don't remove the marks of your circumcision. In other words, if you're a Jew, don't try and become a Gentile. Just stay as you are. And then Paul 
says to the Gentiles. Now, there are these Gentiles who became Christians, and they said, we are Christians now. Should we also do the stuff that they talked about in the Old Testament law? Should we get circumcised? And in fact, there were people teaching the wrong thing. There were Jewish Christians, some who probably weren't really Christians. They were called the Judaizers, who were saying to them, oh, you're Christian now? That's fine, but you still need to keep the law of Moses. You still need to get circumcised. So there were Gentile Christians who were going and getting circumcised because they thought that they had to. And Paul's saying, no, you don't have to do that. Don't become a Jew. If you are a Jew, don't become a Gentile. If you're a Gentile, don't become a Jew because circumcision is nothing. Look at what he says here. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. For, for like a lot of Jews to hear this, that was like a mic drop. I'm not going to drop this because we're not an expensive, you know, we don't have tons of mics to be able to use. So I'm going to protect this mic. But it was like a mic drop for these people because circumcision was so important to them. And Paul's saying it's nothing. It's nothing. That's not your identity. It doesn't matter. There's no more Jew. There's no more Gentile. All that matters is being in Christ and keeping the commandments of God. It's, it's not about being Jew or Gentile. It's not about being white or black. It's not about being Asian or Latino or Native American. It's not about any of those things. None of that matters. What matters is who we are in Christ. Now, that's not to say that there aren't beautiful things about our different cultures that can be celebrated, that can be loved, that can be awesome. But compared to our identity in Jesus, Paul is saying all of that is secondary. What really matters now is that we are in Christ. We keep the commandments of God. That's what Paul is saying. If you're a Jew, remain a Jew in the sense of circumcision. Just stay there. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised. Be a Christian. If you're a Gentile, don't worry that you're uncircumcised. Stay in that position. What, worry, what matters is keeping the commandments of God. Now, this was, this was the biggest ethnic and cultural divide that Paul could use as an example to say, remain as you are. You don't need to change your physical circumstances. You can keep the commandments of God. Now, follow, follow along there. Um, he uses another example next, and he goes into slavery. Now, please um, understand that slavery in the Roman Empire, in this context of what Paul was talking about, is different from what slavery was, for example, in America in the 1700s, chattel slavery. It was a very, very different thing. In the Roman Empire, if you read the ESV version of the Bible, it'll say bond servant. Um, to be a bond servant or to be a slave was um, something that you voluntarily entered into because of your economic situation. Maybe you had a lot of debt and you couldn't pay it. Maybe you had a tough time making ends meet and there was a lot of financial insecurity in your life. So what you would do is you would enter into bond servanthood. You would enter into slavery to a family or to a person or to a master who was more well off and they would provide for you your housing, uh, food, shelter, all of that kind of stuff. And you would work for that person. In fact, um, some scholars say that possibly up to one-third of the city of Corinth were slaves, people who were in this economic situation. It's still not a great situation to be in. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be a bond servant. I wouldn't want to be a slave 2,000 years ago, but it is different from the slavery of the Americas back in the 1700s. In fact, in terms of that kind of slavery, in Exodus 21, God said that somebody, if somebody kidnaps a person, if somebody is a slaver, that person needs to be put to death. The Old Testament made that very clear, that kind of slavery. What was happening in the context of 1 Corinthians, of Corinth, 
was people, maybe a third of the city, entered into this type of economic relationship because they thought it would be better for them and their family. Maybe, I know it's an imperfect analogy, but maybe there's somebody out there, a family working a low-wage job, and they got kids, and, and they could hardly support their family. They can't, they're behind on the rent. They can't put enough food on the table. There's so much uncertainty. They'd rather enter into a situation working for a more well-off family that'll say, you could live here, all your food will be provided, but you're in this position of servanthood. That is a little bit more analogous to what was happening in Paul's situation. Again, not great. Not the best situation to be in, but different than what we experienced here in America in the 1700s. And I think that's important to understand. So with that background, Paul is saying, now think about what he's saying here. He's saying, were you a slave when you were called? When you became a Christian? Were you a bondservant? Was that your economic position? Don't be concerned about it. Don't be worried about it. Why? Because when you were called as a Christian, even if you were a slave, even if your economic and social condition didn't change, you became a freedman in the Lord. In other words, your spiritual condition changed. Even though you were still a slave, you are no longer a slave in the truest sense. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer a slave to this world. You are no longer a slave to the devil. Now you can choose instead to serve God, to worship God, to not obey your sinful nature, but instead to say that you will live for God even in the place where you were. Paul's saying, so even if your economic and social situation doesn't change, he says, don't worry about it. Don't be concerned. Why? Because who you truly are cannot be taken away from you. You are a son, a daughter of God. And in that position, you can fully live out God's calling for you. I know that sounds crazy. I mean, who would want to be a bondservant? Who would want to be a slave? But Paul's saying, you know what? If that's your situation, it's okay. Nobody can take away your destiny. You can live a powerful life for God. How? I'm a slave. In many ways. In being the salt and the light of Christ in that household. By serving your master, not only when he's looking, but as unto Christ. Paul said that in other places. And be an example of what it looks like to be a Christian bondservant through being able to be in this difficult situation but learning contentment. Being able to say, man, I just, I, even though I have so little, even though I'm a slave, I'm going to learn to put my trust and my contentment not in material things but in Jesus. And you become refined and you become a person of character who does not put your hope in the things of this world, but you put your hope in the, next, in the world to come. Maybe you are a good servant, and then you have other servants and slaves under you. And maybe because anybody in that position, you're angry. You're at the bottom of the totem pole. So you know what? If you get a chance to put your foot on somebody else, you're going to do it. But instead, as a Christian slave, you don't do that. You treat the other slaves under your charge kindly and lovingly, and you're different, and you lead them to Christ. Through everything that you do there, you're an example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You can live a life of power and meaning even in that position. This is why Paul says, is that what you're in? Is that what you're quote-unquote stuck in? Don't be concerned because you are truly free in Christ. Likewise, he says to the person who's free, the person who's not a bondservant, the person who's in better economic situation, maybe even the far end of the spectrum, maybe a person who's nobility, who's got it all. Paul says to this person, you also do not be proud in your freedom. Do not think that you have the world in your hand like the world is your oyster. Remember that if you are a Christian, you are in fact, even though you're free in society, you are a slave of Christ. You 
belong to Jesus. That is who you are. That is your truest, deepest identity. Paul just flips everything around. And he says, no matter what situation you're in, remain in that situation. No matter how bad, it's okay. It's okay. Remain in it. Because who you are is in Christ. If you are a slave in this world, you are free in Christ. If you are free in this world, you are Christ's slave. You do not need to change your position. Now, let me add this here. Paul's practical too. He says here, if you're indeed able to be free, make the most of the opportunity. If your master somehow pays off your debts, sets you free, says you've served me long enough, you've, you've earned it, you, you could be free, you don't have to be like, well, I'm going to stay here as a slave. You can be free. Paul says, but make the most of the opportunity. If you become free, make the most of being free. Remember that you are a slave of Christ. Paul is practical as well. In terms of circumcision, Paul had Timothy circumcised. What's up with that, Paul? I thought you said if you're circumcised, don't get uncircumcised. If you're uncircumcised, don't get circumcised. Well, so, so that when Timothy went around with him to share the gospel, people wouldn't reject him because he was uncircumcised, because they did a ministry to many Jews. And if they heard that he was uncircumcised, they wouldn't receive him. So out of practical matters, Paul said, it's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. It's not anything. Just do it for the sake of us being able to preach the gospel. Paul was practical as well. His point is, whatever situation you're in, you can remain there. You can be all that God has called you to be. What does this have to do with us? Brothers and sisters, I believe that this passage, what Paul's writing here, what God is saying through Paul, for us today in 21st century America, it is an extremely countercultural message. Why? Because it, it's so difficult for us. It's so countercultural. It's so hard for us to receive this and accept this. I'll tell you why. Because innately within us, we have built within us this mentality. We have bought into the lie of perpetual upward mobility. We have bought into the lie of perpetual upward mobility. What do I mean by that? We, we live in a society, we were probably raised in a way, in an environment which says you always need to be moving up. Whether in your job, your finances, where you live, whatever it is, you always need to be moving up. You need to incrementally be improving your situation. And if you're not, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Isn't that true? Isn't that the environment that we find ourselves in? But that's very different from what Paul said. Paul said, remain where you are. Understand your deepest identity in Christ. For us, we have bought into the lie of upward mobility, perpetual upward mobility. This is why we are so dissatisfied in our jobs, isn't it? Oftentimes, it's, it's, you're hardly in one job before you start looking for the next job. Why? Because you want to keep moving up. Well, I got this title here. What's the next title I can get at the next place? What's the next pay raise I can get? And keep moving up and up and up until I get into the C-suite, until I'm an executive. And if I haven't been moving up for a while, there's something wrong. I'm very discontent. I'm very dissatisfied. We feel like with our work, we constantly need to be moving up. We feel that with our money, with our homes. If you rent right now, if you're a renter, the next step must be that I will own. 
I will buy a house. So we just set our sights on buying a house. After you buy that house, the next goal is to buy a bigger and nicer house that can fit more kids within it. And then after you get that house, it's to get a bigger and nicer house in a good school district so that your kids can go to good schools. And on and on and on and on. Upward mobility in our finances, where we live, in our houses, in our neighborhood. That's how we view it. Even as a pastor, even in the ministry, this has seeped into our thinking. Well, you know, how, how do we start off? How did I start off as a pastor? As a youth pastor, taking care of high schoolers and junior high kids. But you know what? That's just a stepping stone. After a few years of doing that, my goal is to become an associate pastor. And then when I become an associate pastor, I'm, I'm doing the quote-unquote real ministry with adults. After that, for a while, then I can become a senior pastor. That's my goal. And as soon as another church gives me a shot at becoming a senior pastor, if I can't get that here in this church, I'm going to jump ship and go there and become senior pastor. And then after that, I want to become somebody of influence in my denomination or in my movement. I want to become a denominational leader. And then after that, I want to become a best-selling author. And I want to have a national platform so that I keep moving up and up and up and up. It seeps into everything. We hear this a lot, especially if you grew up as, as the children of immigrants. I grew up in a, in, a, in, a, in a Chinese household. My parents left China when they were babies during the revolution. Then they grew up in Taiwan. They left Taiwan to come here. Why? For better opportunity. My mother and my father, they worked their tails off for 30 years each in the post office. Why? So that I could have a better life, so that I could have increased upward mobility. So I remember when I was a, a, a Christian, a young Christian, back in 2001, I went on a mission trip to China. My life was changed. I was, my eyes were so open to what God was doing out there. I came home and I said, Mom, Dad, I want to be a missionary to China. I want to go there for the rest of my life. They're like, what? You want to go back there? We left there. What you talking about? We left there to come here so you could go up. You want to go back there? What are you talking about? It's this idea you can't go back there because that's not the path of going up. Although nowadays it kind of can be, right? Things have changed. But back then, they're like, what are you, crazy? Listen, we think about this. Let's be honest with ourselves. Is that is that the underlying assumption, our worldview that we have? We need to keep moving up. And if you're not, something is wrong, and you're frustrated, and you're discontent. And I, I know you may be thinking, it's like, oh, so Ulysses, like, am I supposed to just stay at this entry-level job forever if I have a chance to get promoted? No, I'm not saying that. Right? Maybe you take a promotion. I, am I supposed to rent for it? I mean, we saved up money. We could buy a house. Should we not do that? No, I'm not saying that. I would love to buy a house one day. Honestly, I, I would. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Look, look deeper into what Paul is saying here. Look in, in verse 23. What is Paul saying? You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Look, I'm not saying you can't take a better job. I'm not saying you can't buy a house or move into a nicer neighborhood. That's not the point. The point is this. If you have bought into the lie of upward mobility, you will become slaves of men. You will. You will become a slave to this world because you will enter into that rat race of feeling like I need to keep moving up and up and up. And you know what that will breed? It will breed discontentment in your life. It will breed financial stinginess in your life. It will lead you to say, God, I don't have time to serve you. How can I serve you? Because I need to keep moving up and up and up. Brothers and sisters, you can become a slave to upward mobility. And let me tell you something. Upward mobility is a hard master. He is never satisfied. When you have 25 million, 
you will still feel like you need 25% more. He is never satisfied, and you will never get to the final destination. It's a trick. It's a lie. And you end up becoming a slave to this world and perpetually dissatisfied, burning yourself out, not having time for God, not having time for anything else, because you need to keep moving up. Could it be that we are so concerned with changing our social and economic situation that it's actually been sabotaging our ability to live out your calling right now where you are? Look at, what, look at what Paul says in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Have you, have you ever thought about the possibility that your not-quite-dream job, not-quite-dream neighborhood, not-quite-dream house, wh wherever you are right now, is actually where God has assigned you to be. And he's given it to you as a gift and as an opportunity to make the most of for the glory of his name. But because we're always looking for the next rung of the ladder, we totally miss out on what God has assigned to us right now. And we miss it. And we blow it. And we completely drop the ball. Could it be possible that where you are right now is what God has assigned you to? Now, of course, this doesn't mean if you're in something sinful or in a job where it's sinful that you should stay there. That God hasn't assigned that to you. Many people in Corinth worked in temple cult prostitution. <laughs> Paul's not saying stay in temple cult prostitution, right? There are limits. But maybe in your okay job, maybe in your mid-level job, maybe in your decent house. God has assigned you there. And he wants you to make the most of that right now. But your perpetual looking to what is next and what is higher up is sabotaging your ability to live out your calling right now. Have we ever stopped to think about that? I'm going to move into application here. What is the big deal then for Paul? If it doesn't matter, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, if none of that is a big deal, what really matters? There are two things that he said in the passage. One, keep the commandments of God. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Being a Christian in love with Jesus. Living with God as your Lord in every part of your life. That's what counts. Keep the commandments of God. Two, remain with God. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, slave or free, there let him remain with God. Wherever you are, enjoying the presence of God in your life, walking closely with him. That's what it comes down to. Not moving up to the next rung of the ladder, but walking with God, his presence filling you, keeping his commands in your life. That's how you walk out the assignment, all the assignments that God has given you right now. How would this affect your work, brothers and sisters? Could it be that, that if, if you were able to be free of this lie of upward mobility and just constantly looking on the websites for which job pays better, where can I get a better opportunity, what if you broke free from that and instead you were able to be the person that God assigned you to be in your current job. By being a great employee, 
and being an example and showing your boss how Christians work. By being a great team member who serves the other people on your team. By being somebody who chooses the route of honesty in your job, even when everybody else wants to cut the corners or wants to lie for the sake of getting the job done or getting the client. What if you were to live out your life as a Christian and share the gospel and be a loving person and be the salt and the light of God in your current job? Maybe God has called you to that, and that is your assignment right now, but you will miss it if you're just thinking about the next job. Brothers and sisters, God has called within our church engineers. Lord knows we have a lot of engineers. Doctors, dentists, nurses, physical therapists, designers, teachers, students, homemakers, accountants, lawyers, small business owners, venture capitalists, people working in startups, people working on nonprofits, full-time ministers, people working in business and finance, people doing research, people working in all sorts of areas that I probably missed. And what God has called us to is to be faithful in each of these areas that he has called us to. To be faithful. You know, as a pastor, I've had many people come up to me and say, you know, Ulysses, what is my call? I want to know my calling. What is my calling? Does God want me to to, to be a doctor? Does God want me to be an engineer? What does God want me to be? What's my calling in life? You know, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 has already made it abundantly clear. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God has already made it really clear what his will is for your life. For you to be sanctified. It's not for you to be an engineer or a doctor or a teacher. For you to be sanctified, to become like Christ wherever you are. But how often do we miss out on being who God has called us to be in our workplaces? What about with our neighbors? Could it be that we are so eager to improve our economic situation, to move into a better house, into a better neighborhood, what if God has assigned you to be his witness to the people literally living around you right now? The people who live on your floor in your apartment complex, the people who live on your block You are actually the only genuine Christian in that area. That's very, very possible, if not probable. And God has assigned you to be there, to be his ambassador to the people around you, to those neighbors. But all you can think about is, I can't wait to move into a better place. And you completely blow that assignment. Is it possible that God has assigned you to your neighbors, to your block, to your floor, to your building right now? Have we stopped to think about that? Or are we just thinking, can't wait to live in a better place? Do we think about that with money? Want to keep earning more, moving up the economic ladder, Maybe you say, you know what, if I can earn more, then eventually I will be able to do more for God with my money. That's what I used to think. I used to want to become rich. Then when I became a Christian, I said, now I want to be a rich Christian. And I said, oh, when I make a lot of money, I'm going to use that to be able to serve God. I'm going to be able to fund missions. I'm going to be able to start churches with that. But I still want to be rich. That's my goal. And one day when I'm rich, I'll be able to do so much for God. One day. After I've moved far up the ladder, I'll be able to do something with God for my, with my money. Is that what he said? What Jesus said about the poor widow who put two small copper coins in the offering box. All these rich people were putting large sums of money 
in the box. What did Jesus say? This poor widow has put in more than all of them. She was faithful with what she was assigned even when she was at the bottom rung of the ladder. What do we want? We want to be the, we want to be the rich dudes. <laughs> I'll be rich, then I can put a lot in the box. What did Jesus say about them? He didn't say anything about them. But he exalted this widow because she was faithful with what she was assigned in that moment, not later on, not after becoming rich. This is why Paul said to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. When you can be content with what you have and not need to keep earning more and more and more in a never-ending cycle, that can lead to great gain. What about with, with friends? You say friends. What do you mean friends? What about with your friends, with the people around you? Some of us, let's be honest, you look at your friends around you, you go, meh. <laughs> like, ah, I want some better friends. I want people who understand me more. <laughs> I want some cooler friends. I want some friends that are into more interesting things. I kind of want to move up the social, whatever it might be. You look at your people around you, you say, I would like better friends in my life. But what if God has assigned you, you to be a good friend to those people and to love them and to love them and maybe through your love and the way that you treat them by you being a good friend to them, God makes them better friends to you and turns these relationships that you once looked at and said, meh, I'll wait till something better comes along. He makes something beautiful out of that. Maybe you come to our church, you say, hey, you know, this is all right. One day I'll find a church where I will really click with the people and I'll have really great relationships with them. Good luck. Keep looking. Is it because we're so great? No. But because every church is screwed up. But if we say, God, I accept the assignment that you have placed me here right now to be a part of making this into a beautiful body of Christ, into beautiful friendships, into beautiful brotherhood and sisterhood, then maybe that's what leads this place into becoming a beautiful place. What about our children? Can I talk to the parents for a second, myself being one? Are we setting our kids up right now from a young age to be in this, in this, to be enslaved to upward mobility, the lie of upward mobility. Man, when Audrey was born, I was playing that Mozart music, you know? Mozart makes your kid a genius. You know what I'm talking about? You, you played it too? You know what I'm talking about? You played that thing, bought them these toys, logic toys, and all that kind of stuff. So they could be geniuses. Why? Because they got to get a leg up and get into that school. What school? Harvard? No, that elementary school. They got to get ready, man. There's only so many spots in that gifted and talented thing, and they got to get in. Got to get in the right school district so they can go to the right school, get that Ivy League, get that great job, become successful. I've done it. You might be doing it. Are we right now setting our kids up to believe in the lie of upward mobility from right now? It's not that we don't want the best for our kids. Every parent does. But what is the best? The best is to keep the commandments of God and to remain in him. Is that what we're trying to set our kids up for? Or are we setting themselves, them up too, to believe in the lie of upward mobility? Brothers and sisters, if, if we believe in the lie of upward mobility, who's going who's gonna to bring the gospel to, to developing nations? Who's going to leave this place to go there? If we think we need to keep moving up. 
Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. There may be other opportunities that come. Some maybe you should take. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you need to stay exactly the same forever. But we have bought into a lie that brings us to the other extreme. That we need to keep moving up. I want to close with a story. You might have heard this. It's called The Mexican Fisherman. An American investment banker was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large fin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The Mexican replied, only a little while. The American then asked why he didn't stay out longer and catch more fish. The Mexican said he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. The American then asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? The Mexican fisherman said, I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take siesta with my wife, Maria, stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life. The American scoffed. I am a Harvard MBA and could help you. You should spend more time fishing and with the proceeds, buy a bigger boat. And with the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you would have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you would sell directly to the processor. Eventually, opening your own cannery. You would control the product, processing, and distribution. You would need to leave the small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, then LA, and eventually New York City, where you would run your expanding enterprise. The Mexican fisherman asked, but how long will this take? To which the American replied, 15 to 20 years. But what then? The American laughed and said, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO and sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. You would make millions. Millions? Asked the fisherman. Then what? The American said, then you would retire. Move to a small coastal fishing village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take siesta with your wife, stroll to the village in the evening, sip wine, and play guitar with your amigos. The, uh, the Mexican fisherman was a wise person. He knew he didn't need more than what he had. Brothers and sisters, we have far more than the Mexican fisherman. We have the very presence of God living within us right now. The fullness of God the Spirit within each and every one of us. That's why we can be living life to the fullest right now. Wherever you are, whatever situation you are in, we can be living life to the fullest. Brothers and sisters, Jesus did not embrace upward mobility, but downward mobility when he came to us to die upon a cross and to be raised from the dead so that if anybody believes in him for the forgiveness of sin, we have the Holy Spirit, God's fullness within us. And when you became a Christian, the Bible says God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there's no further place higher to go. We are already 
seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We already have everything that we could desire. Let's pray. Let's stand together. We invite the worship team up at this time. You know, I think that's a hard message. That's a really countercultural message. And again, please, please don't think that this is so impractical that you throw this message out, you throw this passage out. Doesn't mean you can never move or change your job. That's not what this is saying. This is talking about breaking free of the lie of upward mobility so that you can be fully present. You can't be where you are if you're always thinking of where you want to go. And that's what this world is trying to do to us. There's something better. There's something better. There's something better. It's a lie. So that you don't focus on now and on being who God called you to be right now. I want to challenge you. I want to exhort you, brothers and sisters. Would you please, would you look at your workplace with new eyes? Would you look at your school with new eyes? Would you look at your neighborhood that you live in and your neighbors around you and see a new preciousness that they have? Would you come before God and say, God, I, I want to be faithful with everything you've assigned me to right now. I want to live fully. I want to be fully alive right now where I am. And if you call me somewhere else, that's fine, God. But right now, I will be present. And I will keep your commands. And I will remain with you and enjoy your presence. Let's just pray together right now. Can we close our eyes? If you like to, we can lift up our hands to the Lord. And can we just begin to pray and just just ask God, Lord, would you free me? If you feel, if this is connected with you at all, if you feel like maybe you've bought in to this, this, this kind of American dream, this kind of like modern mindset of upward mobility, would you just pray and ask God, Lord, would you free me from that lie? And would you make the most precious thing to me the fact that I am free in Christ. I am a slave of Christ. That is who I am. May that be my source of contentment and joy and satisfaction. May I stop setting my kids up to live into this lie, Lord God, but may I be a parent that embraces this truth for them as well. Whatever God is speaking to you, let's just come before the Lord right now. Can we pray? Ask God, Lord, free me from that. Free me from that, God, and grant me that contentment. Grant me that faithfulness right now where I am. Let's pray together for that right now, brothers and sisters. Let's, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to set us free in that way. Let's pray together.